saying that, I did not go up on praise. I'll tell you that right there. I did not go, I did not go up into whatever registry you have to go into to hit that note right there. Didn't even try. Didn't even strain a little bit. And I was happy to leave that to Brother Andrew. All right. Uh, if you would grab your uh, Bibles, turn to Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs chapter 11. I'm going to continue on the series here. The good news is, if you weren't here the previous weeks, it really doesn't matter. All right. Uh, not, not for you to understand what the series is all about. So uh, we're preaching on important things. And so uh, we've covered the importance of the Bible, why God gave us a Bible. We've talked about the importance of prayer and why God gave us the privilege of prayer and being able to talk with Him and to have that personal time with Him. Uh, we talked about the importance of church, why God gave us a church to be able to come to and to worship and to be together. And this morning, uh, we're going to go ahead and read Proverbs chapter 11 and verse number 30. And we're going to preach on the importance of soul winning, the importance of being a witness. And so uh, verse number 30, he says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. Uh, there is some great things about soul winning. Now, I'm, I'm calling it soul winning. Uh, some people call it witnessing. Some people call it just giving the gospel. Some people, there's a whole bunch of names, all right? But we all know what we're talking about here, I think. Uh, and if not, we'll get to what we're talking about here in a moment if you don't know what that is. But uh, salvation is a wonderful thing. Uh, salvation is the greatest thing you could ever get. It's the best gift God could ever give, and it's the best gift you could ever receive. Uh, it's the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ, paying the debt of all of your sins, and you going ahead and asking Jesus Christ to be your Savior and trusting that you were a sinner, that you did not deserve heaven, because we're all sinners, and, and heaven's a pure place, it's a clean place. The Bible says nothing defiling can enter in, neither whatsoever worketh abomination, or maketh a lie. Just one lie keeps you out of heaven. And since everybody's a liar, and you say, well, I take exception to that, uh, well, then you're still a liar. I don't know uh, what else to tell you. If you tell a lie, you're a liar. You don't deserve heaven. Heaven's clean. One lie makes heaven not clean anymore. Heaven's a pure place, and it's deserving to have a pure people inside of it. It's got a pure and a holy God, and it deserves to have a pure uh, congregation of people that get to go in. And then the question comes, well, if we're all defiled, how do we get in? Well, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. It makes it so we're no longer defiled. You say, well, how do I get that blood applied to me? How do I get that payment taken for me? Well, the Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. The Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The Bible says that Jesus Christ, when he was crucified and he gave his life for us, it says that he became sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. We can gain the righteousness of God in exchanging our wicked sinfulness for God's pure righteousness because we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior. Now that salvation was brought personally by Jesus Christ. He left the glories of heaven. He stepped down. We all talk about Him being born as a baby in a manger, and sure enough, He was. And he was wrapped in swaddling clothes, but that day that he showed up is the same day that salvation was come. A Savior showed up. Unto you was born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. The Bible says in Isaiah that beside him there is no Savior. You get no Savior outside of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Acts, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. You don't have, there is no other Savior. You don't get to choose whichever one you like. Say, so that seems very exclusive. Well, heaven's an exclusive place. I find it funny. Uh, we like to have things exclusive to us. We do. Don't the rich and the wealthy, they have their own little country club <laughs> that you and I don't get to go into, right? We're not exclusive enough. There's some churches where you go in and they go, well, you don't have a suit coat on, you don't have a tie on, you're not allowed in. You know, those are exclusive. 
Praise the Lord, that's not here. Anyways, um, right? There's exclusive things in this life, and you want to always be a part of those exclusive things. Why is it when Jesus Christ says the only way you can get into my heaven is by trusting me? Mankind suddenly has a problem with some exclusivity. Well, I'll tell you why, because they don't want to be a part of that idea. Well, you mean I'm not good enough? Absolutely, you're not good enough. Uh, in and of yourself, you're not good enough. I'm not good enough. There's not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. And so Jesus Christ shows up personally to do what? To make sure you could have a way to get to him. He's a personal savior that stepped down out of the glories of heaven to make it possible for you and I to ascend into heaven because of the blood of Jesus Christ paying the debt of our sins. You talk about a personal God. There is not another religion in the world. There's not another ideology in the world where their, their God decided he'd step down out of heaven and die for their sins. Amazingly enough, you turn around and you look at everything else and it's give your life. Lay it down so that you could have it. And the Lord says, no, I laid down my life for you. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. It's a personal salvation because it was given by a personal Savior. Jesus Christ himself chose to give his own blood and to lay down his life a ransom for many to pay the debt of your sins and mine. It is a personal salvation that you and I got. And salvation is personal. It's in a relationship with God Almighty yourself, not in what anybody else does, not in whether my relationship is good with him or not. It's whether you're in a relationship with God or not. It's whether you've accepted him as your savior or not. Pilate asked the great question, what shall I do with this man called Jesus? I ask you today, what, what will you do with Jesus? If he's not your savior, what are you going to do? You can walk out of here and say, these guys are all crazy. Uh, that guy doesn't know what he's talking about. You can feel free. Go ahead. It's, it's a world that you get to choose. God isn't going to make you choose him. God isn't going to make you do any of this. He gives you the offer. He gives you the offer, he extends it to you, and he says, hey, I'm a personal God, and I want to have a personal relationship. Come, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow, and though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. God wants you to be able to have a relationship with him. And he set it up all through the blood of Jesus Christ, paying your sins. Salvation is personal. And as I talk about soul winning this morning, it's personal work. That's another name for it. Uh, it's personal. Uh, God made it so that not only is salvation personable, personal, but our witness ought to be a personal witness. It's getting to know somebody face to face and having a witness and a testimony and an example and the right words fitly spoken as Pastor mentioned. It is vital for your own personal walk with the Lord as well as the church that I mentioned last week, it is vital for the church to continue to grow. It's vital. If you don't have growth, then you're dying. And the Lord wants to grow. And He wants to continue to add. And He wants that work done. And this morning, I'm not going to do all the fun tactics. There's lots of ways to witness. We avail ourselves, we try to avail and make it easy for you to have an opportunity as a church to go and witness, but that's not, that's not exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, yes, we go out and we go on the streets. Yes, we go out in visitation. Yes, we do the Bible handouts. Yes, we try and encourage. And yes, we have all those. And praise the Lord, we ought to have those. I already talked to Brother Bacon. We're going to try and see if in the spring, if maybe we can get back into the nursing homes. We're trying. And what happened? We couldn't go in, not without vaccinations and all the other things and all the, and they were shutting down everything and you weren't getting in. I said, let's see if we can get back in. Well, Bacon and I already talked about it. We're going to try and see if we can. He's making calls already. What can we do? Can we go? You know, say why? Because we want an opportunity for somebody to be able to go in there and hear the gospel. That's, that's all we're doing, availing ourselves of opportunities. If we can do that, we want to be able to reach and to be able to win. But you realize that going on the streets or going to door to door or going to the nursing home if we can do it or going to the Bible handout does not replace your own personal obligation of having your own witness yourself. 
You can do it corporately and you ought to do it corporately. We, we go. But salvation was personal. Most people do not get saved because they randomly picked up a track that someone threw down on the ground. They had somebody personally hand it to them. They had somebody personally tell them. They had somebody who would encourage them to be at church and they heard it again and again and again and again. I would say the vast majority of people, they do not get saved the first time they hear the gospel. That's a rarity. Instead, they hear it over and over and over again and the word of God takes course and does exactly what it's supposed to do in the heart of man. And it's done because people are willing to give them the gospel over and over and over again. Because the Bible says, he that winneth souls is wise. I find that as an interesting statement. Winneth souls. Now, I'm going to get to it here shortly. Uh, but you realize, uh, I, I, don't, I can't do anything or say anything necessarily that's going to make somebody trust Christ. They're going to choose. They're going to make the choice. And they ought to be able to make the choice. They have a free will choice to be able to decide what they're going to do. But, <laughs> with that being said, don't you ought to think you ought to make it look good? <laughs> Try to win them over? <laughs> Convince them that, hey, this is a good idea. I think the sad reality is Christians go, well, I'm just going to give it to them straight and then I don't have to really, and I'll just, I'll just hand them the track and I'll walk away and I don't really have to do anything. How much convincing was there? How much winning was there? Uh, now, it's not winning an argument. It's not, well, I bested them at the argument, so now they got to trust. Well, that's not it. Say, <laughs> so what do I need to do? Win the heart. You win the heart, that's it. There it is. You get it. Because salvation's personal. I like something, some of our missionaries have talked about it in their prayer letters, I won't mention names. Uh, they, they, they spend time with lost people in a group setting. They go to cafe, they go to, uh, they go to coffee shops, they go to this, they go to that, and they just start meeting local people on a mission field. And they just start talking to them. And they see where they can get it to go. And they say, we've built friendships over the last few months. Did you hear that? Months. In America, you and I used to, and I gotta, I'll get to my message eventually. We're still in the introduction. Um, in America, we used to live in a society where most of the time you could talk about Adam and Eve and you could talk about Jesus and you could talk about him dying on the cross and you could talk about him raising from the dead and people knew what you were talking about. That's not America. That's a sad statement, but it's a true statement. I've done more discipleship with people in the last few years that have no idea who those people are. They got saved, and you talk to them, and it is like, Noah? Who's Noah? What do you mean Adam and Eve? What do you mean, who are these people? The only thing I know is that I finally got told that Jesus died for me and I prayed and asked him to save me. I don't know anything else. I have no concept. Okay, well, we can, I mean, we can work with that. But that's who you're witnessing to. That's who you're talking to. That's who you're trying. You know what you can't convince them of? You can't convince them Jesus died for their sins in 10 minutes now. It's a personal witness. And it's going to happen over and over, unless somebody else has been dealing with them for a while, you aren't getting them in two minutes. The light bulb's not coming up. Why? Because they don't have anything there. <laughs> they don't have anything for the Holy Spirit to start working on. They don't have anything to work with. <laughs> they may understand real quick they're a sinner, but the idea that Jesus would die to save me is a foreign concept now. It's almost as if you've turned into your own full-fledged, mission field where 
You're just like a missionary and nobody knows anything in this pagan country. So you know what you have to do? Win. Win a friendship before you win a soul because you may not be able to get them any other way. He that winneth souls is wise. And it takes some wisdom to be able to do it. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer and uh, I guess I'll start preaching. Lord, I thank you for the morning. I thank you for bringing us here. I thank you that you are good to us and your mercy endureth forever. Father, I'm glad we woke up this morning and your mercies were renewed. And Father, I do pray that, uh, Lord, I have no idea if someone here is lost, but if they are, I pray they'd call upon the Lord Jesus Christ today to save their soul for all of eternity. But Father, I pray especially for our church and our church family here and those, Father, that are here listening. I do pray that, Father, if they're saved and going to heaven, I pray they would recognize their need to be a soul winner and look for opportunities to be able to give somebody the gospel and be a friend to them and to help them. And Lord, once again, I do pray that you would bless our day. Help us, Lord, as we work and as we, as we go through the scriptures, I pray you'd give us great wisdom. And Lord, once again, we pray you'd speak to hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. And the first thing I want you to think about is, what's the reason? What's the reason that God allows soul winning? Why do we do that? Why would God encourage us to do that? What is, what is the whole point? Uh, well, first of all, you see it right here in verse number 30. He that winneth souls is wise. It's a wise thing to win souls. It's a wise thing to let somebody know that there's gospel and that there's a Savior. There's some good news out there. Uh, it's wise to do so. Why? Because a bunch of foolish people are going to take a bunch of people to hell for all of eternity. Uh, it's wise. Uh, and you ought to be wise while you're doing it. But it's a wise thing to go ahead and win souls. It's wise. It shows you've got wisdom and discretion to be able to figure out that you can talk to somebody about Jesus Christ. Uh, Christian, you ought to be wise enough to know and understand the ones you can work with now and the ones that you have to take more time with later. That takes wisdom. You ever been on the streets, uh, out street preaching or door knocking or doing anything like that, and you start dealing with people, and as you start dealing with them, you know what you have to have? You have to have wisdom. You have to have some discernment to figure out what? To figure out whether they're just messing with you and eating up all your time or whether they actually want the truth. We deal with that all the time. People come in and whether or not they want the truth or whether they don't want the truth and all the things and they're just mad and they're angry and they want to come up and, you know, they come up with the dumb questions of can God make a rock too big for him to lift and, you know, and, and you're like, come on, man. Come on. And you have to figure out, how am I going to answer those people? Well, you better be wise. You better have some wisdom. You win souls because it's a wise thing to do. You gain wisdom as you win. You start dealing with people, you know what you find? You find that uh, not everybody's the same. They're, just, they're not the same. Uh, there's people in your life, let's just go with this, right? You've got some friends that you can say some things to that you wouldn't tell anybody else. And you certainly wouldn't, if they were doing something wrong, you could tell them just straight up, hey, you are wrong. <laughs> and as we already saw in the Sunday school hour, you don't do that with your wife. <laughs> Ask Pastor Legault about that. <laughs> I got to catch up to all the ones he threw me in Sunday school. Um, and you say, what do we do? You have wisdom. You deal with people differently. You deal with your boss differently than you do a coworker. You deal with different situations in your life with friends versus family versus worker, co-workers due to acquaintances due to, and to absolute strangers. You deal with them differently in your own walk in life. Just in general practice, you deal with them differently. Well, why didn't it be differently while you're winning souls? You talk to them with wisdom. You talk to them with respect. You talk to them with, and you try to win them. And maybe you don't just blast away when you open up the door. You better have some wisdom. You ought, to have, you ought to have wisdom. And it's wise to win them. It's wise. Not only that, look over at Matthew chapter 28. Of course, we can go to Matthew 28. We can go to Mark 16. We can go to Acts chapter 1. We go all over the place. Why should I win souls? Why should I even care? 
Well, Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Uh, he implores them to go into all the world. Uh, of course, in, uh, first, uh, in Mark chapter 16 and verse number 15, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You get over to Acts chapter 1. Ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. He goes ahead and makes sure you understand that uh, having the Holy Ghost, by the way, the byproduct is going out and witnessing. The Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses. Well, that's supposed to be a byproduct of you getting saved. You get saved, you know what you ought to want to do? Tell somebody. You know, it's a strange thing in the Gospels. You ever wonder, Jesus keeps telling all these people, don't tell anybody what I just did. Don't tell anybody what I just did. And everybody has a hard time not telling somebody about what he just did. I never see one time where he tells them, hey, I told you not to do that. Say, so, yeah, but he told them. I know. Why didn't he stop them? Because when great things happen, it's hard not to tell somebody. I think the Lord looks over it just for a moment and says, well, he is giving me some glory. I guess I'll let it slide. Say, <laughs> so, you sure about that? Nope. But it sounds good to me. If you're preaching, you come up with your cool thing, all right? That's mine today, all right? Uh, what, but I think is, I think the Lord goes, boy, I did do great things. And without me, without me, they wouldn't be able to say that. You know, the Lord gave you a command. He did everything he could to save you. And he says, go tell somebody else what I did. Go tell somebody else. There's the old, there's the old saying, right? A beggar tells another beggar where to get a piece of bread. Hey, you can go over there. You'll get some good food. Hey, you go over there. That guy will save you for all of eternity. Hey, I don't know where else to go to wash my sins forever, but I do know one guy. I know somebody who can take care of all of your sins. Now, it ought to be a byproduct, but if that's not good enough for you, you're commanded. Christian, you're commanded to do what? To tell everybody about what great things the Lord hath done for you. He's told you and he's told you and he's told you to go and tell somebody. Will you go? Well, you know, I'm not called to be a missionary. I didn't tell you that. Well, I'm not called to preach. Didn't say that. Well, I just, you know, I feel like I have, to, I have to, you know, have that gift. It didn't say that. Being gifted in the area does not mean that you, you get to do it, and if you're not gifted, you don't get to. This isn't singing a special. I think you ought to have a little bit of a gift to sing a special. You don't have to be the greatest, but I hope you have a little bit of a gift. And so does your audience. <laughs> to sing in the congregation, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Sing a special, please. Have a little bit, just a little bit. But to be a soul winner, to be a witness and a testimony of what great things Jesus Christ has done for you, there is no prerequisite outside of being Jesus Christ. Son, that he'd save you for all of eternity. You trust him and he saved you. You don't have anything else. Well, I haven't been discipled enough. Nope, not an excuse. How much discipling did they need after Jesus Christ told them they were whole? The maniac of Gadara? How much training did he get from Jesus before Jesus said, hey, go back to your family and tell them everything that I've done? Say, well, now I think you ought to get better at it. 
You ought to grow. The way you witnessed the first day you got saved should not be the day you witnessed 10 years after you got saved. But that doesn't exempt you from being a witness. And you could say, hey, I don't know all this stuff, but I do know what he did for me. And hey, let me have somebody come and tell you about it. Because I don't know enough, but I know some, I know some people, they, they, they showed me. They showed me. You're commanded. Not only are you commanded, you've been commissioned. Look over at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter 5, you are probably very familiar with the place. It says in verse uh, number 16, Wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh? Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead be reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You have been commissioned. If you're saved in here, you have been commissioned an ambassador and have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciling a lost world to the God of the universe. Getting peace between the two warring parties through Jesus Christ alone. You're the one who's supposed to bring them to the mediator who can take care of all of their sin. That's your job. You have been commissioned by the God of the universe. Now, I understand this is a terrible plan. It's terrible. God literally went, okay, I'm going to send my son Jesus Christ to die for the sins of the world. Great plan. This is awesome. Okay. I'm on board with this idea. Free gift of eternal life. I'll give it to everybody. Okay, now that I saved you, you go ahead and take care of telling everybody else. I'm not a people person. Uh, I don't feel comfortable talking to strangers. Uh, I really, people don't like it when I tell them that they're wrong. Um... Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, but I commissioned you as my ambassador. You go ahead and, in my place, you, you stand in the place of God and go ahead and tell the lost world. Yeah, but I'm not God. And they're going to look at my life and recognize the fact that I'm not that good. They're, rec- they're going to recognize that I'm a human being just like them. And now I've got to tell them how great you are and how amazing it is that you'd save a sinner. And they got to believe what I said. Well, no, I gave you a book to make sure they could go to that. And they could trust that. But I'm trusting you to go and tell them. Well, that's a terrible plan. (laughs) Say, why? Because it all hinges on me and you. The plan for a world to hear about a Savior is you and I actually going and doing it. In my opinion, lousy plan. Say, why? Because I'm not that reliable. Has the Lord ever not been faithful? Of course not. He's always faithful. He always does it right. He always gets the job done. Okay, are you always faithful? (laughs) That's a whole other story, isn't it? Yet he entrusted you with the greatest job he's ever given. He commissioned you, he gave you all the power, he gave you a book, and he made sure you could, you could know him, and that he'd never leave you nor forsake you while you go and tell him. It's 
this is a terrible plan. I know, but it's God's plan. God is in the business of using you and I over and over and over again to accomplish a goal that none of us think we could ever accomplish. We gain victories in our lives that you and I never thought we could ever do because of a wonderful God who saved us and made it possible for us to have that victory. So the idea of you and I taking on an impossible goal of telling a world that there's a Savior that has come is not an impossible goal when you have a God that does the impossible. Because ultimately, look over at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We have, we have plenty of reasons to win souls. But the amazing part is that the results of that, the results of us endeavoring to win are not ours. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 5, he says this, Who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted, Paul speaking, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. You realize that all the results that happen are all up to God. Now this takes a whole lot of pressure off you and I. Uh, there, there's a movement that came through for a very long time, still kicks around uh, over, overall in Christian circles, and it was, well, how many did you win and how many did you wet and how many are in? <sighs> win them, wet them, and work them. That was the, that was the philosophy. So what is that? Put your foot in the door and make them pray a prayer and then go dunk them in a tank and then send them out to tell somebody else. It was a numbers game. How many can, and if you don't have enough, you're not doing enough. I want you to know soul winning is not about numbers. It's not about numbers. It can't be about numbers. Say why? Because it's God that worketh. If it's not God working, then it's not real salvation. Anybody can say words to a prayer and not believe any of it. With the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made. If the heart doesn't get in it, then the mouth doesn't matter. <laughs> now, I know I'm in a room full of great people. And don't raise your hands. But how many of you have said some things you didn't actually believe? How many of you have said some things that you didn't actually believe to get somebody to leave you alone? I mean, not that any of you would do that. But it wasn't true. Because it's not about the numbers. You know what God wants? He wants all men to be saved. That's his that's his will. Well, why aren't all men, why aren't, why aren't they all saved? Because they have a choice whether they're going to trust him or not. And so God waits, and he lets you sow the seed, and he lets you go ahead and water. I like this phrase he says in verse number 7, so then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth. You know what we are? We're nothing. We're nothing. That didn't make me feel very good. I came to church to feel good. Sorry. In the process, we're really nothing. Because it's not our power or our excellency that's going to save them. You know, I can make the best arguments for salvation and have people walk away because it's happened. I thought, man, I pulled out all the stops. I thought I had this. And the Lord says, yeah, they weren't ready. They chose not to. 
They didn't choose to walk away. Samuel, they didn't reject you. They rejected me. Oftentimes we feel rejected. Well, they didn't get saved. They didn't trust Christ. And we get discouraged and we get downtrodden because we feel like we haven't done. And the Lord says, they didn't reject you. They rejected me, Samuel. Don't worry about it. Hey, they, re- they didn't reject you. They rejected me. I'm the Savior they're rejecting. Did you, did you try to give them the gospel? Did you try to put it in a good light? Did you try to show them how great I am? How wonderful salvation is? Okay, well, then they chose not to take me. So it's me they didn't choose. We get often discouraged because the result is that, well, you know, I, I, it didn't get done what I wanted to get done. And we forget completely about Isaiah chapter 55. And that his word will accomplish that which he sent it to do. It's not what you want to get done. It's what he wants to get done. And maybe that day, you know what he wanted? He wanted somebody to water some seed that was already in there. Or he wanted you to break up some fallow ground that nobody's ever even tried before. And you don't know where they are. And maybe it's somebody you've worked on and you've planted a seed and you've watered and you've watered and you've watered and you feel like you're ready to drown the thing. And he says, yeah, but it's not today. It's not today. Yeah, but what if they never, then it was their choice to never. You can't make them. Trust me, if the results were up to us, we would make them. Don't you have some family members, some people you love, some good friends of yours that are lost on their way to hell and you know it? Wouldn't you make them? (laughs) I mean, wouldn't you at gunpoint force them to do this thing? Just pray already. If you could make them, we'd make them. The Lord says, yeah, but I got to work because if I don't work and... They're not really saved and I can't take them. They actually have to believe me. (laughs) They actually have to believe that I died for them and that I rose again and that they're a sinner and they don't deserve heaven without me. They have to change their mind in thinking that they're good enough and repent and go ahead and trust me. We get hung up on the results when the truth is all we're worried about is being a good ambassador. That's all our job is. You and I, you know what we have to worry about? We don't have to worry about the results. You and I have to worry about whether or not we're being a good ambassador. Whether our life matches our testimony of what we're saying. Whether we live, the Bible says, as becometh the gospel, or whether we're a castaway. Paul was worried about being one of those. We look around and we go, well, you know, I just, I wish I could see more. Well, what if I said all the right things? Sometimes you say all the right things and it won't make a difference. Did you do your best? Now, I'm all for being prepared. I'm all for being ready. I'm all for doing all the things you ought to do. And you ought to, if you're not ready to witness to somebody, you ought to bet, you better get ready. You ought to get ready. There is no excuse to not be ready to witness to somebody and give them the gospel. You ought to know enough to be able to give them the gospel. So I don't know what to do. Go ahead and ask. We've got plenty of things you can learn. There's ways to learn. We're going to start street preaching here in a little bit. We're going to be out door knocking in a little bit. We're going to be doing all those things. We're going to do some Bible handouts again this year. We're going to do all those things. You can come to those. But even before you get to those, you know what? If I, had, if I had five or six people come up to me and say, I want to learn about soul winning. I, we've never done that before. Uh, you know, do you got anything? Brother James is, is a great witness. That's why he runs our public ministries. He is good with people. He's got great technique. I'll gladly have him teach a class. I'll teach a class. We'll work together. Pastor Legault's been doing it for years as well. Brother Kevin. We got plenty of guys. Brother Kevin goes door knocking. He is great at cold talking to somebody and just knocking on their door and saying hello and hi, I'm from. And do. We have people who do this. You want to learn how to do it? We can do that. We can do that. There's no excuse. Well, I haven't been taught well enough. Then ask. Say, hey, I want to learn about that. Okay. Boom, we'll set up a class. We can get that rolling in just a couple of weeks. We have all the material. 
That's not even, that, we don't even have to delay. Say, well, I'm not a very good ambassador because I'm not living right. Then get right. There's no excuse not to try and fix those things. Say, well, you know, my testimony doesn't match, so start fixing it. Well, just because I get it right and I pray today doesn't mean that tomorrow they're going to listen to me. Of course not. You have to fix your friendships. Because it's a relationship. It's personal. But the reality is this. The reality of soul winning is John chapter 3. Go there. John chapter 3, one of the most, if not the most quoted verse in all of the Bible is John chapter 3 and verse 16. And I think rightfully so, brother. Uh, brother Eddie called it the goat, the greatest of all time. And it's probably the greatest verse of scripture of all time. I could get behind that statement. Now, maybe you got something different. Uh, I'm a pretty big fan of 2 Corinthians 5.21 we read earlier. That's, that's my favorite verse. Probably the greatest verse gives you perfectly the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But keep reading. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God didn't come to, to condemn them. He came to save them. But verse 18, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Say, so what's the reality? The reality is there's an entire world of people going to hell for all of eternity. They will spend, a, they will spend eternity in a lake of fire and they will not get out. They will be in torment forever. The smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever. So what's the reality? The reality is that it, they will. They will spend eternity in a lake of fire. I want you to think for just a moment of people that you know that you haven't even tried to talk to. Or that maybe it's been a long time since you've even tried to bring it up again. I want you to think for a moment, the reality is that they are on their way to spending an eternity in a lake of fire. So why is soul winning so important? How shall they hear without a preacher? How are they going to know anything without you or I saying something? Say, well, I told them. Okay, how many times did you have to tell your kids to stop doing something before they figured out that you were serious? How many times did you have to go ahead and instruct them that they're doing it wrong? How many times did you have to get told that you were a sinner in need of a Savior before it finally got into your brain that you were in need of a Savior and you finally figured out that you needed to call on Jesus Christ alone and you got salvation? How long-suffering was the person who was waiting and witnessing to you? How merciful was God that He didn't put you in a lake of fire before you got to trust Him? So why is soul winning so important? Because a lost world needs ambassadors. I said it earlier, you and I are the plan. What's God's backup plan? Doesn't have one. There's no plan B. God, God, doesn't, God doesn't really use plan Bs. You know, he, he comes up with the idea. You realize that if... Uh, if you decide to not go, say, well, he could send somebody else. He could. He could. Because God's merciful and he's gracious and he's long-suffering. And I understand he wants them saved evidently more than you do because you won't go. I get that. But you realize humanity is his plan. <laughs> the church is his plan to reach to a lost world. He doesn't have somebody who's filling in for us. 
There's, no, there's nobody who's going to step up and go, well, you know, since, uh, since humanity failed me, I guess we're going to have to go ahead and... No. You're his plan. So I don't like this plan. Okay? Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. I know somebody else didn't like a plan. And it was the very Son of God who didn't like the plan. If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Garden of Gethsemane. Three times, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless. So your problem is you won't go nevertheless. That last part, it's God don't make me do this. God don't make me do this. And instead you go, I'm just not doing it. Because you can't make me. Christian, I hope that's not you. I sincerely hope that's not you. I hope it's, Lord, give me an opportunity to tell somebody. Give me a chance to tell somebody. Give me just a moment to tell somebody. Let my wife, let my husband, let my kids, let my aunts and uncles and my brothers and my sisters, let me have an opportunity with grandma and grandpa and tell them one more time. So why is soul winning so important? Because you might be the only one on the planet that they see that could tell them about Jesus Christ. What if you were it? I want you to think just for a moment. You and I are, if you're saved in here, you and I are getting ready. We've gone ahead and a trumpet has sounded. And I've gone up and we've gone through the judgment seat of Christ and the gold, silver, and the precious stones and the wood, hay, and the stubble have gone through a fire. And you and I have gone through and we've, we've gotten all our reward and we've cast our crowns and we've rejoiced and we've had a great time in the marriage supper of the Lamb and we've come down at the second advent of the Lord Jesus Christ where He takes the kingdoms of this world to His own and He goes ahead and rules with a rod of iron for a thousand years and there is no more beast and the false prophet are cast into a lake of fire and Satan has been bound for a thousand years and he's dropped into a bottomless pit and then at the end of the thousand years he's loose for a little season and he brings up the entire world up against the God of the universe sitting upon throne at Jerusalem and God goes ahead and he wipes out an entire universe and he melts the elements with a fervent heat and he destroys the whole thing at the end of a thousand years and he goes ahead and calls everybody up and behold I saw a great white throne with him that sat upon it from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away and there was found no place for them and I saw the dead small and great stand before God and the books were open and another book was opened which is the book of life and they were judged every man according to their works. God looks at them and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into a lake of fire. And you and I are standing there. And up comes that friend of yours. That you never told. Say, oh, God wiped away all tears. Not yet. That's the next chapter. Well, yeah, but the Lord already passed all that through the fire. I know. I wonder if that day you might care when you didn't care today. I wonder if that day we might be more concerned as the Lord gives the command to bind him hand and foot and cast him into outer darkness. I wonder if we'll go ahead and wonder at our own failures at that point when it's far too late. Isn't that what the lost man does? Well, I'll put it off and do it later. I'll get saved later. I'll trust Christ later. I'll go ahead and do that later. Well, yeah, later never comes.
maybe there's somebody today you've been going, I'll, I'll tell them later. I'll talk to them later. Some more convenient day, I'll tell them. If you're waiting for convenience, I want you to know the devil will make sure you have no convenience. Perhaps the reason you don't witness is because you've decided that it's not really all that important. I'll get to it later. When the truth is, there's nothing more important than God has given you to do. You are the commissioned ambassador of the God of the universe to represent his interests here on the face of this earth. And you know what he's interested in? The souls of men. Let's go ahead and stand. Paul makes the statement, I am become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Well, I'm not going to save them all. Nope. But if you were a witness, you might save some. If you were willing to be a soul winner, you might save some. If you're in here this morning, you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Jesus Christ is a personal God who came to save you. He came with the express interest of saving your soul for all of eternity. And if you'd like to know more about it, we would gladly take a Bible and answer whatever questions you have and try to help you understand that you can have salvation forever. We'd invite you to come. Some have come to pray. We'd invite you to come and we'd open a Bible and show you out of the Word of God how you can know your sins are forgiven forever. Christian, if you're in here, maybe you've got some people you hadn't been witnessing to and you know you ought to. Maybe you come and let the Lord know you're sorry you hadn't done it. Maybe you just need to come down and pray for a soul you've witnessed to a thousand times. Say, Lord, I've witnessed to him again and again. Give me another chance. Give me another chance. Give them some mercy because they need your mercy. We're past the spot of them having the grace of God handed to them and the idea of them, I've told them over and over, I think they understand. But they still need a Savior. Lord, help us. Father, I thank you for the day. I pray you would take our, take our ambassadorship seriously. Help us. Help us to be the soul winner we ought to be. Father, if someone here is lost, I pray they wouldn't leave that way. I pray they'd recognize that a Savior has come into the world and that Jesus Christ is that Savior and they'd call upon Him today. Give us a chance to show them out of the Bible and prove to them that Jesus Christ can save them forever. Lord, once again, we pray you'd bless our day. Work in hearts in Jesus' name. Amen.